I trust that you've already opened in God's Word to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 because that is our desire, is to elevate God's Word. It is why we're here, is to worship God. Uh, Not only do we want to worship God and tell Him what we know about Him to be true, but also to hear from Him and see how faithful He is. You'll know that as we go through Ecclesiastes, one of the hardest things about Ecclesiastes is that really it's hard to outline Ecclesiastes because it's just one continuous thought. Um, So really there is no interruptions in thought. And so we need to remember that as we continue the thoughts before it, continue into the thoughts that's before us. So it's not meant to be like separated and pulled apart Um, sometimes in Scripture there's the stepping stones, or if you do this, then there's this. Well, this really is just one continuing outflow from Solomon's mind as he struggles with what's before him, what he knows to be true, what he's experienced in life. And he shares us all of these thoughts, and they are personal. And I trust that as we go through them that it becomes personal for you as God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, um, uses His Word to speak His truth into your heart. Our goal is not to train you to know things, but to know the Creator and to hear Him and to see Him in your life. And so that's our thoughts this morning. I know as we come to this, we the title, Meaning found in divine judgment. And the meaning that we find is it gives us peace. And you're like, wait a minute. As we think about this thought of meaning is found, as we want to find meaning in life. That's the goal. And Solomon came out and he explored all of life and all the avenues, all the things of life. He says, I found that there is nothing that it brings meaning to life. And so you say, Pastor, As I look at meaning this title, it doesn't make much sense. How can I find peace in judgment? And I'm glad you asked because we're going to look at that this morning. Not from my perspective and not from Solomon's perspective, but what he found to be true from God's perspective. And that's the caveat because if we said there is meaning to be found in judgment, we would lose really the truth that is in the statement. There is actually meaning to be found in divine judgment, in the divinity, in the holiness of God, in God's character, in who He is, in the fact that God is the one that is in control of all things. God puts before us season and a time for things to be experienced or things in our life. And we saw that in the beginning of chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes. And so the reality is is that the divine is what is in control. God's character is where the meaning is found. So it's not merely in judgment. It's not merely in experiencing some euphoric experience. It's not in your circumstances, but it is in the God that we desperately are trying to love and the God that desperately 
showed us what love is when he died on the cross for our sins. So as we go to this passage that we read this morning, we will start in verse 9 and we'll go through our text in verse 17. But let's pray before that and honor God and ask Him to bless His Word. Lord, we humbly come asking that You would give us Your Word, not from this preacher, not from this mouth that is proclaiming Your Word, Lord, that we would not be distracted by my presence, but that I would hide behind your word this morning as I read from your, from your holy word, from the lips that you gave us, your pronouncements, your judgments, your truths that explain who you are. May we respond to that this morning. May we give you glory May we honor you. May we worship you and elevate you today. May it be that we find great joy as you reveal something to us, that your spirit would speak to our heart and give us understanding. So Lord, uh, remove me and may your spirit have full reign this morning as we love you and your words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Verse 9 of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, going through verse 17, God says, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. It means he's put purpose, the desire to know purpose. In man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I have perceived that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived or I experienced. To know that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that is in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. It's amazing as we look at verse 16 and Solomon proclaims and he says, I've looked and I've looked at everything under the sun. I've seen all the work of man. And in the place of justice, I find that there is wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, I find that there is still wickedness. You know, as I look at this idea of injustice and justice and judgment, 
Most people tend to want a God that is sovereign when things are going well. They say, yes, God is sovereign. Things are well and I'm enjoying life. But what about when things aren't going well? Are you still proclaiming the glories of a sovereign God? <laughs> what are, what are you thinking? What are the thoughts that enter into your heart as you are dealing with circumstances or injustices and when you see it? When all kinds of mishaps and injustices seem to occur, is God really still calling the shots? Is God really calling the shots in our world? And is God really still calling the shots in your life? What's interesting in verse 16 is Solomon realizes that he sees that no matter whether somebody is doing good things or if they're doing wicked things, he sees that all of it is still, there is injustice all over the place. You know what's interesting is the word wickedness in this passage in verse 16. It's a Hebrew term in which it means to, it's a perversion, a bending of what is truly right. You could say, in a sense, he's describing corruption. And so Solomon is saying, as I look at everything under the sun and I, I see corruption, I see corruption in those who are doing evil. And it's sad, but I see corruption in those who should be doing right. You know, a lot of times in, in the days uh, that we've experienced in the year, I hear it often that, man, we are going through unprecedented times. And I would tell you, just look back at history some of the things we are experiencing now is not nearly as bad as some of the things that we have seen in history. So I don't know if we could really say that we are experiencing unprecedented times, but truly we are going through times that maybe most of us have never truly experienced. But Solomon says that I have experienced this. I have seen this. I've perceived this. There is corruption all around in your notes, I basically, I put this thing and it says, life is not always fair. Get used to it. That's what Solomon's saying. He's basically saying, I looked at all of life that man has experienced and guess what? It's not fair. We have a thing in our house and... Yeah. Are we allowed to use the word fair? Because <laughs> there's nothing fair. We taught our kids this going for up. My kids will say, that's not fair. And we said, oh, you owe us something. Because there is nothing fair in life. To say that life should be fair is that means that Everything has to be axed. everything has to be perfectly the same for everyone, except no one's the same. Life is not fair, so get used to it. 
Or as my mom would say, just get over it. (laughs) Get over yourself. Whatever you desire, get over it. At those times we ask, how can I trust God when the world is filled with injustice? And of course, in the days that we've been living, we've heard this term over, 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 and over. Injustice, injustice, injustice. In reality, we're seeing everybody saying, life is not fair. And they're trying to desperately make it fair. In the ancient times of Israel, if we looked at uh, the history of Israel, and they were supposed to be a model of justice, a model uh, and character of God to present what God should look like to the world. And yet, if you look through Chronicles, and you look through First and Second Kings, and you look through Judges, and you'll see that the innocent are often judged guilty, and the guilty are often judged innocent. And you realize when Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun, you realize how correct he truly is. We live in this life that's like a wheel, and it just comes and it goes, and it comes and it goes. And you know when you have a rock in your wheel and you hear it, and it just comes and it goes and it comes and it goes. It goes through the circle of life. There's nothing new under the sun. It's just a reworking of the same old problems. We need to pause and consider what we have already learned from Solomon. There are are periods of times, there are seasons of times in our lives that evil simply wins. And it simply wins not because life is not fair, but because God is in control and He knows what is happening. That there is an all-powerful God that includes evil in all of His plans. Evil is not over God. Evil does not change God. Evil does not control God, but simply that God, that evil cannot change God's plan. We don't understand it because we struggle with the big picture. We are not sovereign. We are not like God. We are not above all things. God is outside of time. He is not controlled by time. That's why I love Psalm 37 in verses 12 through 13 when it tells us this. He says, the wicked plot, right? Now, maybe that's how you feel as you look at our current climate of politics and world. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But I love this. It says, but, Right? If you know English, you know that that conjunction, when you put that conjunction in a sentence, it's a shift, right? It changes everything. That means it negates everything before it. That's why you don't say, I'm sorry, but. You never use but in, the, in an apology. If you do, you just negated everything you said, right? Husbands, never use the conjunction but. When you talk to your wife, oh, that was lovely, but you just, you just dug 
a deep hole that you'll never get out of. <laughs> right? Here's the thing. It says, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. Think about that. The, the wicked gnash, they plot, they scheme. The evil one, Satan himself, is scheming. He's plotting. He's planning. He thinks he can overthrow the plans of God. He desires to make the children of God miserable right now. He desires to sift you like wheat, like he did Peter. He wants you to be miserable. He wants your life to be without peace, to be without joy. And maybe the injustices that you see Causes you to feel that way. You've let them cause you to feel that way. Life is not fair. Get over it. (laughs) But, listen to this. The Lord laughs at it all. He is above all that. He knows that the day of judgment will come. So, let's answer this question. Why can we have peace during corrupt times? During judgment and during the things, why can we have meaning in life during judgment, times of judgment, times when we struggle with what we see, the injustices? And we find that because of the injustice, because of what Solomon shares in his experience, we see that in divine judgment, we can find peace. Why? And I want to bring you to the first point, and that is this. Solomon's answer is theological and not moral or political. He didn't say, well, let me tell you how we can fix the political climate so we can have justice, right? But that's what we see on TV all day long. How can we fix politics? You can't. Politics is a human thing, right? You can't fix politics, but God will fix injustice. Solomon's answer brought us back to who God is. His answer wasn't, well, let me tell you what you can do, but let me tell you who. It's not about what you can do, it's about who. Look at verse 17. That's his answer. He said, in my heart, in his heart, he knows. In my heart, God will. We want to pass that and go right to God will judge. And we go and we hang everything on judge. But stop a minute and listen to the God will. There's so much theological emphasis there. It's in God's hands. It's who God is. God will. It's it's the fact that God does act. It's the fact that the promises that are there, our joy is in the hand of the Lord, the civil magistrate, not our politician, not our current climate 
of injustice. Our life is not in the hands of our circumstances any more than it is in any other person that's sitting next to you. You know, think about it. If you just stopped in the fact and listened to that God will, it changes our perception. It changes your standing. It changes the fact that you do not have to act. You need to just trust. It's God's work. It isn't our work. Turn to Romans chapter 12 and we see the theological significance of the fact that when he says that God will... And we learn about ourselves. And so what do we do? How do we have peace? How do we have peace in the midst of injustice? How do we find that? And it begins with this theological answer when he says God will. And that's the point that Paul makes in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapters 1 through 11, God has built this theological argument that our life is in God's hands. That it is all about God's work, that God is the one who saves. We are a bunch of sinful people that need a holy God. And he reconciles us. He brings us back into a position of relationship with himself. He spends all of this time talking about all that God is. And in chapter 12 is the application of that theological ramification of what salvation looks like. In Romans chapter 12, he says in verse 14, so what do we do with all of these injustices? How do we respond? Well, we respond just like Solomon says, that God will. It's all about who God is. In Romans chapter 12, verse 14, 14 through 21, he says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Do not think more of yourself than you should. But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do What is honorable in the sight of all? If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, my kids have heard that one a lot, but they did this, right? Some of you younger individuals know if you're a sibling, you're like, mom, you know, Johnny did this to me. And then I would sit down, and so that justified you slapping him in the face? Yes! (laughs) And I would break out, as far as it depends on you, live at peace, right? Live peaceable with all. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of mom. (laughs) Yeah, we, we know when the wrath of mom is coming, it's like a blinking light that just magically appears and everybody runs. That's why we got to go clean the house before mom gets home. <laughs> it says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, 
Give him something to drink, for by doing so you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil. Overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a great theological significance. You guys have to remember this comes after he shares what salvation is by the hand of a merciful and loving God. God did not overcome our evil hearts. He did not overcome our evil, sinful ways by crushing us, but by crushing the Son of Man, Jesus Christ on the cross, for our sin to reconcile us to Himself. So theologically, how do we deal with injustice? Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those rejoice. If somebody... If some form of justice does take place, rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony. We live in harmony with one another, not because of whether we find justice or equality in our life, but because we have a relationship with the Father who is in heaven, who has reconciled us to himself. Think about it. Christ has experienced the biggest injustice of all. That's why he, this is how we live. We live because we have the greatest example in Christ Jesus. Repay no one evil for evil. That's why everything we see has not produced any peace. Everything that everybody says they're doing because of injustice and trying to produce peace, it will never happen. Equality is not found in, on earth. It's found in our Father who is in heaven. Verse 18 might throw you for a loop, but it says, if possible, because my kids did that. They said, it says, if possible. It's not possible, Dad. <laughs> they deserve what they got. <laughs> it's not true. If possible is a is a Greek term for using all the power that God has given you. That's what it means. That's why it says as far as it depends on you. God gave you all your gifts, all your abilities, everything in your life, so then that way your gift of salvation, so that way you can live peaceably with all. But it has to be based on the gospel. Solomon's answer is extremely theological, and it brings us to the, the second thing in verse 17, that God's judgment will be inclusive. You could even put all there. In Ecclesiastes, in our text, he says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. God's God's judgment is inclusive. God doesn't miss anything. Right? How many times did you grow up in life and I was like, man, how did mom and dad know? <laughs> it's not that mom and dad knows, it's that God knows. And God, in his infinite wisdom, somehow imparts that wisdom to our parents to find out. 
God's judgment will be inclusive. That's why he's, that's what's beautiful about Psalm 82. God is judge among all gods. And, and Rob did a beautiful job bringing that. I knew he would. That's why I gave him. <laughs> he, he shared all of the introduction that we needed. And, and then the song Ancient of Days. It's just that the verse in that song is beautifully what Solomon is trying to tell us. That me, in the meaning here is that God is going to judge everything. He's going to judge all the judges. Don't worry about all the injustice. Don't worry about your anger towards whatever politician you don't like or whatever boss you don't like, whatever teacher you don't like, or kids, whatever parent you don't like at the time. <laughs> God judges all the judges. He also will judge your heart. Second Chronicles 19.7 says, Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. God cannot be bribed. There is no injustice with God. Why do we find meaning in God's judgment, in divine judgment? Why can we have peace? Because God will not miss anything and he doesn't show partiality. The other thing we see in verse 17 is that God's judgment will be certain. It'll be certain. It'll be says there, he says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time for every matter. There is a time. That should be familiar. There is a season. There is a time. It will be certain. It will happen. God's justice will come in his time. And it'll be beautiful. It'll be right. It'll be correct. It won't be based on human desire, human thoughts, human bribery. It won't be based on some emotion that you're feeling because of your circumstances. God will somehow use injustice and wickedness and corruption in carrying out all of his purpose, and he will deal with it in the end. I enjoy, I, I enjoy Daniel chapter 4. As you look at the way that God works and probably think about it, Daniel and his compatriots, they're taken prisoner, forced into slavery, going from Israel all the way to Babylon. Daniel chapter 4, and we know that Daniel warns Nebuchadnezzar and he tells him, remember, God is sovereign. He is over all. He set you up as king. And Nebuchadnezzar says, praise be to God, and he worships God. But then in verse 29, 28, 29, we see that Nebuchadnezzar calls himself the king of kings. He calls himself the sovereign one. I love verse 31. <laughs> Daniel comes, says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. 
You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time, I'm talking about seven years, will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind. You forgot, Nebuchadnezzar, but you will not forget because you're going to just become a beast of the field. And it says that God bestows on whom he wishes his sovereignty. God's judgment will be for certain, just as it was for certain for Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) Think about the image of what he experienced. There, by the way, it says until you recognize. He was to everyone that saw Nebuchadnezzar, he was a beast in the field eating grass. He was wild. But yet, there was still, he, he, he at some point, even though he was a beast, he remembered that God is God and not him. The beauty of this, as Solomon says here in, in verse 17, is, is that it is, there is a time. God's timing is sure, and it is for certain it will happen. In fact, in, we see that in Acts 17 as Paul is talking to the Greeks, to the philosophers, and he told the Greeks present at that day in Acts 17, and he says, God has set a day, a time in which he will judge the world with justice by the man, capital M, talking about Christ, by the man he has appointed. And he has appointed Christ as the judge. It is for certain. Brings us to the fourth thing we see is that God's judgment will be thorough. It's not only inclusive, certain, and it'll be thorough. By the way, God is overall, right? God's judgment will be inclusive because of who He is. God's judgment will be certain because of who He is. God's judgment will be thorough because God does not miss anything. It's who He is. For every matter and for every work, it says in verse 17, basically, or every deed, it'll be thorough. Every deed will be judged. By the way, God is the only one that knows all. Sees all, is above all. So the conclusion of the point that that Solomon is trying to make is this, that God is always sovereign and always working out His plan even when circumstances are unjust and unrighteous. But the one who fears Him, the one who acknowledges and reveres God will be at peace. That's really the question. Are you focusing on the circumstances in which you live right now? You know the reason we can have peace in the midst of injustice? is because there is great meaning behind the God who judges everything according to His nature, His character. Because of God. 
There is peace because of that which we truly fear. Do you fear the circumstance or do you fear God? Hebrews 9.27 says, And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 through 21 says, And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. What do you mean our exile? Well, while you're living here on earth and not in heaven. If you're saved, if you called upon the name of the Lord, if you realized who God is, and who you are, and that we are sinful, and we need a holy, perfect Savior to save us. And that's, who, that's what God did. We're in exile, knowing, verse 18, that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. All the things in our life, this language should be familiar from Ecclesiastes. We were ransomed from the futile things. We were given meaning through our relationship with Jesus Christ, with God. We were ransomed, not with perishable things. We weren't ransomed. We weren't bought by just silver and gold, things that perish, things that come, things that go. Not with perishable things, but, verse 19, with the precious Blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. He was forsaken before the foundation of the world, in the, the ancient of days, right here. Before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you, for your sake who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Why is there meaning found in divine judgment? Why should we look past injustices? Because of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord who endured the greatest injustice of all for our sake so that one day when we are judged, we can stand before the judge of judges and he'd say, well, why are you good? And we can say, I am not. But Christ, who bled and died for me, is. He took my injustice. He took all of my sin and he experienced all of the injustice that I might have faith and hope. I have no hope in my, in my deeds and my works, but I have the one who works all things according to his purpose and plan and makes things beautiful in his time. The Lord of lords, the King of kings. And one day at the, at everyone will, na- will bow, not before our good deeds, for before somebody's good thoughts or good deeds, but they will bow before Christ and honor Him as Lord. 
So why does judgment give us peace? Because we have the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Don't be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, notice it, of God, it's not of this world, it's of God. And the peace of God where surpasses all understanding, there's no one can understand it, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus our Lord. But pastor, what if they take everything away from me? They can't take Christ. They can't take my position as a child of God. They can destroy this body, but they can't take Christ. And one day God will give me that which I really deserve, the chance to lay anything that's good before His feet and worship Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the love which You have loved us, that You poured out Your life on our behalf. Lord, I pray that the great meaning that can be found that we see in our text that would draw us and captivate our attention to your heart, to Christ, who is Lord, who died on our behalf, who rose again and conquered death and is seated and elevated and is worthy to sit on the throne. Lord, if someone here is confused and think that they just need to be good and do good things and that they'll get to heaven by their works, that they would realize it's not about us, but it is about the Holy One. It is about Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's not about our good deeds, it's about what you have done for us. And Lord, that gives us the right response to looking at our world and the circumstances in which we find ourselves. I pray that that good news of what you did would draw our hearts and our minds to you, that we might find the peace that you supply, and that we would also be content with whatever circumstances you have given us. As Paul has said, I have found the secret of contentment, that whatever I experience, whether I find that I'm in need or I have plenty, I have Christ who is my all. And in all, He is all. He is my treasure. I pray that we would be drawn to the treasures of all treasures this morning, to Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.